the Bandroom Podcast is proudly supported by Kaleidoscope Adventures. Kaleidoscope Adventures is a full-service student trip planner with more than 26 years of inspiring student travel. Dylan and I have had positive experiences on school music trips, so we both know how much these meaningful opportunities contribute to students' musical development and create lasting memories. Kaleidoscope Adventures specializes in organizing unique trips to over 40 student-friendly destinations. If you're planning a student trip, you can count on the Kaleidoscope Adventures professionals to collaborate with you to organize the perfect education or performance tour. When you're ready to plan your next adventure, visit KaleidoscopeAdventures.com. That's KaleidoscopeAdventures.com. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Bandroom Podcast. My name is Dylan Maddox. And I'm Kate Nishimura. Kate, how are you doing? I'm great, thanks. It's uh, it's getting really hot here, um, and my my garden is suffering a little bit because it's it's getting so hot. And I, I will say, listeners, um, I briefly had this conversation with with Dylan before we started, and he had mm-hmm. to clarify whether I was talking about <laughs> my real garden in my backyard or my animal crossing garden and i just think that's hilarious because now if you follow us on instagram you may have seen that um dylan and i both are on the animal crossing new horizons train i'm now now addicted yeah yeah (laughs) and our friend codes are sw (laughs) no (laughs) we are not numbers that i don't remember (laughs) yeah so the radishes are, are dying it just got too hot for them. Yeah. I'll try again well, in the fall. It's okay. I'll, I'll really not try here in the Arizona desert. Yeah, I know. I can't even complain about heat compared to where you are. <laughs> well, we, we had a pomegranate tree. And, a, you know, those things are built for the desert. Like mm-hmm. if you go to the botanical gardens here, tons of pomegranate trees they have in there. And yeah. the instructions were like not to really water it that much. Yeah. And then it died. Did you overwater it? <laughs> We don't know what happened. Anyway, oh, so we just needed your green thumb here. and Yeah, I guess so. It was uh, a bad time. But anyway. That's too bad. <laughs> um, we'll stop enthralling our audience with uh, with. This is not a gardening podcast. Gardening. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, much to my But one discussion. thing I want to do is um, talk about some business before we get to t- today's guest. Um, mm-hmm. And that is uh, merchandise. Woo-hoo. What makes the world go around? merchandise (laughs) so um i just want i want to say it because um usually there's many people who have bought our t-shirts and mugs and stuff which is really nice and thank you so much for supporting the podcast in that way and for helping promote uh outside Mm -hmm. in the world by wearing some t-shirts and sweaters and all that stuff um and a lot of you have have purchased that through our teespring um storefront which is great however um i've i've personally (laughs) bought some things from it and i'm not like super happy with the fabric mm-hmm. <laughs> and I put it in the dryer and it shrunk. Um, <laughs> and I'm not telling you this so you get a refund because you're not getting one. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I do want to say that we've switched back to um, bonfire 
which is a website storefront kind of thing. Um, it's where Kate, I'm actually wearing Kate's t-shirt today. It's mm-hmm. super nice. Uh, sleeves are a uh, great length, amazing fabric. And we're just telling <laughs> you that we're switching over to Bonfire. So if you're Canadian, I'm sorry it's in USD, but we would love for you to go check it out. Um, there's some really great stuff. Kate and I just got a bunch of, of new um, swag ourselves Yay. so we can um, promote our podcast out. And yeah, I'm going to deliver it in July. <laughs> and um, so anyway, it's out there. Yeah. New check merch. Go check it out. It it really does make a difference when you've got a shirt that is like so soft that you want to wear it all the time. So I think it's yeah. it's exciting. This is it's amazing this shirt this kate you should wear a shirt which you should yeah, also i've gotten go a lot of feedback about that um great people logo. really like it so yes and we've got stickers yeah. too um which, which stickers. are always fun yeah um but speaking of ways to support the podcast um if you're listening to this and you haven't already done so please make sure that you subscribe to the band room podcast on whatever listening platform you use if you are willing to leave us a rating and or a review that would also be super super helpful it helps other people find the podcast and helps us grow our audience. So we really appreciate that if you're willing to take the time to do that. And thank you to everybody who has already done that and, you know, spreading the word, leaving comments, sending a favorite episode to a friend or a teacher mm-hmm. or whoever you think might enjoy it. It, it all really does come back to um, help us out. And we really appreciate it. Absolutely. And if you want to know another way to support the podcast, um, you can do that through Patreon uh, and become a patron of the Bandroom Podcast, where you'll have access to bonus episodes and lots of other kind of bonus content, including some of that bonfire merch that we just spoke about. Um, so you can have access to that by visiting patreon.com slash bandroompod. That's patreon.com slash bandroompod for more. And let me tell you, today's guest whoever it's gonna be i don't know um they have a whopper (laughs) of a bonus episode my god my god well speaking of that today's episode is a little bit different from the usual in the sense that uh dylan and i are are not co-interviewers co-hosts in this case um, I have the distinct pleasure of getting to interview Dylan himself. Ooh. And this is really fun because we've both been interviewed together. Um, we've been interviewed separately. Uh, Dylan has even interviewed me as a guest on the Band Room Podcast before Twice. I was co-host. Twice. Um, but I have never been in the interviewer chair with Dylan on the other side. So uh, this is going to be different and fun (laughs) and hopefully interesting and maybe even i'll I'll learn something you know it's gonna be great um yeah so let's just jump right in uh i know everyone listening knows who this wonderful person is so i'm not going to give a big intro but i will just say that it really is a pleasure to have the opportunity to ask some questions of this fantastic conductor and educator and musician and one of my best friends. So this is going to mm. be really, really fun. And thank you, Dylan, for um, for agreeing to do this. I think it's going to be great. <laughs> well, thanks so much for having me. Wow. It's great to be here. Yes. Does does the chair you're sitting in feel different as the guest? It does. Than the host? <laughs> I know we are in our band room, but, mm-hmm. you know, it does feel a little different. Yeah. I should have done the welcome. The welcome, welcome, <laughs> welcome. welcome. <laughs> Get real low. Yeah. I know. Anyway, okay, so we'll start where we always start um, with all of our guests, and that is where, why, and how did your musical journey begin? Well, we'll go way back. 
Um, I was born in a place called Summerside, Prince Edward Island, which for those of you that aren't Canadian, that is Canada's smallest province. It's this little tiny island in the East Coast, and it looks like it's called the Cradle of the Sea because it looks like a cradle <laughs> if you look at it. Um, but I was born there. Um, my family uh, isn't especially musical. I don't really have anybody in my family, my immediate family, who's a musician. Um, my dad always sang to me <laughs> as a child. Um, and he's got a, a beautiful voice. Um, nice. So that was kind of that. And then I also have an uncle, um, my my father's brother, who um, is was obsessed with Elvis Presley and the monkeys <laughs> and the Beatles. And nice. uh, he had introduced me to kind of like blood, sweat, and tears and those kind of things. So that so I had I had that kind of background. And um, but yeah, no no one that kind of inspired me to want to do music. Um, one thing that I should say. Uh, that will make a lot more sense is that um, in elementary school and everything, I, I played sports and I did all that fun stuff. Um, but I was born with a heart condition called aortic stenosis. Um, so it's basically like one of my heart valves is, is smaller than the other ones. And, and that, that the diameter of the valve gets smaller and smaller as I age. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually it will have to be replaced. But because of that, I wasn't allowed to play competitive sports at a certain age. And I had to find something to right. do. Um, so I had, uh, I had some family members that, you know, I had lots of fiddle players in my family. My great grandfather was a a fiddle player that would play dances. So I knew of him. I saw the fiddle even and, uh, (laughs) and some other, uh, cousins. I had one older cousin who played the saxophone actually. And I remember like fighting (laughs) for like asking my parents if I could get one and have (laughs) lessons and it just never ended up working out. Um, so I ended up joining the, the, elementary choir i was the only nice. boy in it for three whole years oh. <laughs> i never missed a rehearsal and um and that was with heather colson who was my elementary music teacher and someone i still keep in contact with and i try to visit every time i'm home um and she was just a, just a wonderful uh, music early music educator and a, an amazing human being um and she would always have the musicians from the junior high, which is right across the street. So at Summerside Intermediate, they would come visit and they would do a little show and tell. <laughs> and, you know, at that age, it's amazing how the mind works and like how that memory <laughs> sits yeah. with me. Because it was like the highest quality music making I had ever heard in my <laughs> life. But realistically, it was probably total garbage, <laughs> whatever I had heard. But anyway, I remember uh, a guy came in with a tenor sax and maybe a trumpet player. Um, and they're there to promote SIS because at that time you had to test into the band program. Okay. Um, and it was this weird kind of ear training testy thing that you had mm-hmm. to do. But anyway, they came to talk about it. And I was, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I want to do that. <laughs> um, that would be amazing. So um, the the time came for, for that test to come and I whatever I wrote in what note I thought might have been. And I don't even remember what was on it. But you had to list your instrument choices. So I put mm-hmm. like uh, clarinet because at that time you could get upgraded the saxophone. <laughs> yep. Classic. <laughs> so I had clarinet first and then I had horn yeah. and then I had trumpet. Um, so I ended up testing and getting in and then we go to beginner band camp. So I did beginner band camp and they gave me trumpet, my third choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mark Parsons was my first kind of trumpet person who taught me how to do that. And he teaches at Charlottetown Rural, which is one of the, one of the really great programs in Prince Edward Island. Um, so we did that and, um, yeah, I was kind of hooked at that point. And I should say that, um, before that also, 
they do a they do a kind of um a, a band tour the junior high so they go mm-hmm. to all the elementary schools in the city and and uh, SIS came to my school and I've told this story before but Peter Gallant who's been on the podcast um he asked some questions during that that performance and if you got the question right you got to go up and conduct the band so exciting so it turns out little dilly got, <laughs> got the question right and got to conduct the band and, mm-hmm. and peter took my my little wrist and did some kind of version of a 4-4 pattern <laughs> and i remember that being actually a quite a pivotal moment for me yeah <laughs> realizing that like this that i didn't know if it was going to be a career but it's certainly something i really wanted to do yeah. Um, so yeah, and so I went through that SIS program and um, was greatly inspired by by Peter Gallant, who's one of my biggest um, heroes and mentors till this day. Um, yeah, just and, and one of the most, let alone musicians, the most amazing humans that I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and to think about all of the people on on PEI that he's he's inspired and and just yeah. like prince the principles he he would instill in us because we would we would go do competitions all the time and we'd always get, we'd always get like whatever top gold or whatever the heck yeah. it is platinum mm-hmm. but he would he'd always say he would talk to us and and talk and show us the plaque and tell us how proud he is of us and but also remind us that this is just a, a snapshot of a moment and I'm going to go put it in a box now. Yeah. <laughs> it's just to think like, so yeah. to understand that like, that's not why we do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was very early on. And I remember him instilling that. So, yeah. So that was a, a great thing. Um, and then um, he had show bands and jazz bands. So we did all of that. So that was always really fun. And it was just, it was great for me to see what was possible in music besides just straight up band. Yeah. Um, so that was great. And uh, on PEI, we have a great honor band system and we have a junior high honor band and a senior one. So it came time to audition for the, this, <laughs> the junior high one. And I auditioned for it and um, went and looked at the list to see who was there. And my name wasn't there. I didn't get into junior high honor oh, no. band. And it was like, you know, grade nine, grade eight or grade nine. Mm-hmm. And I, this, is, this is the moment where someone, I'm going to use their name even because I know that he doesn't listen. <laughs> Ryan Waugh. Ryan Waugh was my, he was my rival, also a friend, <laughs> but he was my rival. And his name was on that list. Yeah. And I remember thinking, I'm going to work my butt off until the end of the year um, and just become really good. So I worked my butt off and at grade <laughs> nine graduation, I won the big musician award. <laughs> oh, nice. And that was really, it was, but it was a moment where I was yeah. like, Oh, I can really do this, mm-hmm. and um, and from that point on, I really decided that I was going to be a musician. That's awesome. And, and, uh, yeah. So thank you, Ryan Waugh. <laughs> yeah, I think he ended up going to like aviation school, and now I oh, think cool. he flies planes. That's uh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I've never told I've never told him that. So, uh, but anyway, so that was a really great moment, and um, same kind of thing. High school band kind of came in. We did a joint concert, I think. And that was conducted by uh, Mark Ramsey. Mm-hmm. And Mark Ramsey is now Dr. Mark Ramsey, and he teaches at Western University. He's the head of choral studies there. Um, but he was my high school teacher for That's three awesome. whole years. And yeah. I was, yeah, incredibly lucky to have have had him as a, as a teacher. Um, he's, once again, one of my biggest heroes and someone I look up to. And probably the first person to, like, 
talk to me about professionalism mm -hmm. and what it's what how important it is to kind of like look good on a gig be ready yeah. be organized don't be late those he used to be like if i see you run if i see you walking into rehearsal you're doing it wrong i should <laughs> see you running into rehearsal if you were late it's like okay yeah <laughs> yes sir and he was always honest about the socks it always had to be the right mm -hmm. socks oh yeah um no but, white socks then, <laughs> no white socks but uh yeah i just did my my high school band thing um he was in he's an incredible musician like incredible and i remember he was kind of one of the first conductors i ever saw who i was just enthralled with how he looked yeah <laughs> like just the most beautiful gestures yeah and so thoughtful and those kind of things and and he would always get comments when we went to festival and stuff about like, the adjudicator would comment on his conducting mm -hmm. um and so it was like it was amazing and um and he would we we would do a thing in class where um, the seniors would get to conduct the band. So um, I was able to conduct people. This is a debated piece. Anne McGinty's Red Balloon, mm, yeah. and uh, and I remember that being like that was one of the big moments where I I, I really knew I wanted to conduct after, yeah. just because and not not to be like egotistical about it, but I remember getting a lot of positive feedback. Yeah. About about just how it, how it went. So I was like, mm -hmm. okay, that's great. And now I live in the city that Anne McGinty lives in. <laughs> so <laughs> it's fun. It's full circle. <laughs> yeah, anyway, yeah. But I remember that being a really uh, important moment for me. And I'm just so yeah. grateful that opportunities like that were given to, <laughs> to, to me and to my colleagues, who I know that many of others have also gone to be music educators that I yeah. study with. Our mutual friend, Ashley Brockway, being one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, who teaches in Alberta now, and you just wrote wrote her and her school a piece. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So there's there there was a great amount of of kind of people that he inspired and and gave yeah. opportunities to, which was great. And um, and one opportunity we had was in grade ten. I played in the senior band, so I got to go to New York on a big trip. Oh, fun! Um, we did all the New Yorky things, which is fun. <laughs> and um, it was for the festivals of music. It's kind of a, one of those traveling yeah. festivals and um i remember it was at newark symphony hall and we were in the warm-up room and the lady came to get us to play and she's like you guys, are you guys the tree school <laughs> anyway yeah we're we're three oaks oh, <laughs> um, so the tree anyway, school so, okay. yeah That's so cute. we go down and it's the usual it's the usual kind of festival experience you know you go down in this giant stage beautiful stage um, and there's like two people in the audience, right? Your band parents and chaperones and things yeah, and yeah. the table of adjudicators. Mm -hmm. So that year we were doing Omagnum Mysterium, the Reynolds mm -hmm. arrangement. Um, we were doing a piece that I've said that we shouldn't have, we shouldn't do anymore. We've talked about Sarah Salima, um, mm -hmm. that Robert W. Smith Africa song ritual and dance thing. Mm -hmm. and we played it well. And it's yeah. a fun piece to play. You just shouldn't do it anymore, folks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we did that and we did something else. I can't remember what the other one was. And the, the performance was fine. I remember it being good. But then uh, this this bald man came on stage after mm -hmm. we were done. And I, d I had no idea who he was. I knew I couldn't pronounce his last name at the time. <laughs> Turns out it was Dr. Tim Lotzenheiser, <laughs> um, so, uh, who is like one of the best. Yeah. Um, and he, he wanted to work on Omagnum. So we did. And he did all the regular, let's get you sounding better. But at a certain point, um, he we got to the big moment in the piece and he wanted everyone um, to think of someone they loved. 
Yeah. It could be someone who's with us still or someone who has passed away or whatever it is. Yeah. So I remember picking my person. It's usually my grandmother whenever I do things like yeah. this. And he conducted the moment with this new mindset and everyone, it was just like the most amazing transformative moment I've ever had as a musician till this yeah. day, like still. Wow, that's and awesome. Like looking like after the fact when it's over, like looking to your colleagues, like everyone's bawling, like <laughs> crying. And to yeah. think about like what I was thinking in my head and what I had in my heart just came out of my instrument for the first yeah. time, basically. Yeah. Like that, that was like, I, I remember from that point being, I need to do this for other people. Mm, um, yeah. So that was kind of like, that a big a big moment for me um but yeah so that was kind of high school and you know I had lots of success and did solo competitions as a trumpet mm -hmm. player and and things like that um and then I went to school I went to my undergraduate degree at Mount Allison University which is in Sackville New Brunswick as mm -hmm. a trumpet player um and I'll talk more about those kind of things later but I you know I had been given opportunities to um conduct because no one else wanted to yeah. Um, so that's kind of how that ended up working. And I remember liking it. Um, so I, I was the assistant for the, the choir, the, 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 the top choir. Yeah. I had my own little church choir at mm -hmm. St. Andrew's Presbyterian and with some lovely people. I did some of the, the, the university musicals, yeah. um, assisted with the, the band also did, I ran the pep band for a number of years, basically anything that people would let me do, I would do, mm -hmm. um, as well as trying to do all the trumpet stuff. so, And yeah. I, I studied trumpet with Alan Klaus, who's now at Memorial University, and Dr. Alan Klaus, and then also uh, Dr. Linda Pierce, who ended up coming and is a wonderful bass trombonist and bass sack butt player. One of three in North America, as a matter <laughs> Incredible. of fact. Incredible. <laughs> so, yeah, oh, that's awesome. I did, I did those kind of things. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty fun. You know what's great about this is I know so much about you, but I – learn some things in the telling of your journey that you that you just did. So that's that's always really fun when you have a relationship with someone and you continue to learn about them. And knowing mm -hmm. about you what I know now and what you're doing now and what you've done since we've known each other, it actually all makes so much sense given all these mm. kind of early experiences that you had and it just sounds like those moments from your you know, early days as a musician were so magical and mm -hmm. really kind of um, caused a spark in you. Like even as you said, you you weren't sure career wise what you would be doing, but you knew that it you wanted to keep doing that in some way. And I think that's sometimes that's all it takes. So it's really cool that you had so many opportunities like that just kind of given to yeah. you in, in your community. Yeah. And now a word from our sponsor. You know, Kate, I often think back to my time at Music Camp and how important that time was not only in my growth as a musician, but as a person. I feel the same way. My first time performing original music in front of a big audience was at a music camp, and many of the people I met at camp are still friends and colleagues of mine today. 2022 marks the 60th anniversary of the Interprovincial Music Camp. That's right. 60 years of being Canada's most comprehensive music camp. 
IMC offers specialized camps for all levels of band, orchestra, choir, musical theater, rock, jazz, and songwriting. Students can learn from faculty that include members of major symphony orchestras, Juno and Grammy Award winners, touring musicians, and music educators. Also, new this year is IMC's beginning band camp, open to campers ages 9 to 14. Located at the beautiful Camp Manitou on Manitowabing Lake, located in the heart of Muskoka Perry Sound region of Ontario, Canada, IMC facilities are second to none. With fully equipped cabins, outstanding meals with one of the chefs dedicated to preparing meals for those with specific dietary needs. IMC is unique in that it is centered around music, but also offers a true camp experience, including traditional activities such as swimming, sailing, water skiing, beach volleyball, and much more, as well as evening programs for the campers each night after the faculty concert. IMC provides young musicians with comprehensive and exceptional musical training with faculty members who are some of Canada's finest performers and educators some of which include past bandroom guest, conductor, clinician, and educator Colin Clark, Dr. Colleen Richardson from Western University, Dominic Desotel, principal clarinet of the Canadian Opera Company, Sarah Jeffrey, principal oboe of the Toronto Symphony, and Vanessa Freilich, associate principal trombone of the Toronto Symphony. They all bring a wealth of teaching experience and performing skills and are passionate about sharing their love of music with young musicians. Don't miss the opportunity to grow, be inspired, have fun, and make memories that will last a lifetime. Stay connected by following them on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at imc.ca. That's imc.ca. To learn more about how you or someone you know can celebrate 60 years of the Interprovincial Music Camp, visit campimc.ca. That's campimc.ca. I think it's, an, and we've talked about it many times, but that's like a common theme that continues through our lives, yeah. not knowing really what to do in a career. Even when you're in your career, it's like, oh, sure. well, maybe I should be doing something else. Yeah. So yeah, it's important to recognize that it, it does start at the beginning and that's kind of okay. Yeah, and for time sure. Time will sort itself out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I wanted to ask about um, the F word. Uh, which is a presentation <laughs> that you've given um, in you know numerous capacities, um, and the F word being failure in this case, using failure as a vehicle for growth. Um, so I don't know if you want to maybe tie that into some of your um, educational experiences sure. or or where that started to come up for you as kind of a source of inspiration and growth and learning for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I, I remember it was a number of years ago, someone had given, asked me to give a talk and I, it might've been about the podcast. And I was like, well, I really don't know what, how I'm going to inspire your students by talking about the podcast. And I, since then we've done some of those mm -hmm. talks together, but, um, I came up with this idea, uh, <laughs> the F word using failure as a vehicle for growth. And that is because, um, in high school and even junior high, I've never, I've never been an academically gifted student ever. Um, mm -hmm. And I found that that kind of really um, influenced who I thought I was as a person at the time. And I really right. thought I was less than for most of my life, even up into my master's degree. Um, mm -hmm. And 
I was always a C student and I, and my parents, I loved them to death, but I would come home with like a C or something like that. And they were like, yeah. Oh, really great job, Dylan, my whole life. Um, <laughs> and I never, I was very rarely, um, kind of belittled because of my mark by my family, which mm-hmm. I think highly, it, it worked out in my case. I don't know if it works out in everyone's case. Um, yeah. and it really influenced who I am as a, as a teacher and someone who kind of gives advice to others. For sure. Um, yeah. But I had that and, and I had band. So band was kind of my savior in those moments because that was somewhere where I was accepted. I had lots of friends um, that, that in that class I didn't have a C, I didn't have an F even, you know, like I, I was, a I was really good at, at band class. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so, uh, so I, that was kind of my place. Um, but you know, I, I, I would. I was in general math and in junior high, and I had to wor- work my way out. And I went to a school that didn't take. You didn't need a science credit to, to mm. go. So like I, yeah. I, you know, most of this was like very calculated. Um, but I ended, up, I ended up, you know, going to Mount Allison, and same kind of thing. Progressed greatly as a musician. I always had great sound. I could. I learned all my music by ear. I yeah. didn't really know how to read that well, but um, I was. I was known as a okay musician but in my mm-hmm. first year of undergrad i failed um theory basic theory mm-hmm. class ear training um and then i got caught for plagiarism <laughs> in music oh, no. history that's mm-hmm. basically all of the classes yeah <laughs> like, that's all of them. other than like performing was, yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah. um and uh, you know the going back to high school i really cared what people thought um yeah so i didn't want to come back I didn't want to come back and look, look dumb. So I ended yeah. up deciding I'm, I'm going to leave Mount Allison um, mm-hmm. and go somewhere else. And at the time, I was really involved with my youth group. And I had started a, a citywide non-denominational choir. Because of Mark's influence, I had really been into choral music. So I had started mm-hmm. the citywide choir. And I got this email from Dr. Tucker and he said, you know, I caught you for plagiarism and I'm not going to mm-hmm. report it or anything, but I'm going to fail you for the course. Right. And I just remember being devastated and in a moment deciding what I wanted to do. And I, I knew I, mm-hmm. I was like, maybe I'll go, I'll go somewhere else and I'll study choral conducting. So I ended up mm-hmm. going to this place called Kingswood University for one year in, actually it wasn't even one year, it was half a year. And it's a, this um, kind of Bible college in in Sussex, New Brunswick. And there was a, uh, a teacher there that I really loved. His name is David club. He lives in Calgary now, but the most joyful and positive human I've ever met in my life. Just <laughs> always had this big smile, but he had a, an excellent choir that would go on tour. So I, I had decided to go there and I uh, mm-hmm. didn't play trumpet at all and learned about that. Had to take piano lessons, which was treacherous for someone who's never touched one before. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like really painful to learn a new instrument when you're like, you yeah. know, in your second year of undergrad. Yeah. But uh, at a certain point, it's just like, it, I, they were all lovely people and great opportunities. We had started a chamber choir, uh, D- David and I, and he let me conduct it there and some other things. And I made wonderful friends that have will last a lifetime, but it just, it wasn't for me (laughs) for various reasons I won't go into, Mm -hmm. but, um, I decided, uh, I, I needed to go back to Mount Allison. So I took Mm -hmm. a weekend trip. Um, well, first I emailed Dr. Klaus, who was my trumpet teacher. And, and I said, I'm, I'm coming back (laughs) and I really don't (laughs) care (laughs) what you think, but he's like, he's like, you know, we'd love for you to come back. So that, 
that was nice to hear, but I really felt something strange with between us and Dr. Tucker. I, I felt it. I don't think he ever yeah. did. Um, yeah. So I remember taking a weekend trip back to Sackville and I, I had scheduled a meeting with Dr. Tucker and I just, I just apologized for what I did in his, yeah. in his history class and that I shouldn't have done yeah. it. And, um, it was a big mistake that had, you know, it cost me like a, a year's worth of yeah. tuition. Yeah. Um, and he just said to me, he's like, Dylan, like you really don't have to worry about this. Uh, we all make mistakes and you will grow from this and we would love to have you come back. And oh. that for me was one of, you know, that was a big thing to hear as someone yeah. that you thought, thought you were so dumb. And yeah. for, for that person to kind of lift that off of you is like a yeah, giant sure. thing. And yeah. um, from that point on, I realized that, um, and maybe we can talk about it later, but I realized f for me, I, I have to work probably three to four times as hard as most people to get yeah. easy things done. Um, mm -hmm. And I didn't know why. It's just that's how it was at the time. So anyway, I ended up getting yeah. asking for extra help. I ended up um, working my butt off and not not really caring that I I had a some kind of perceived um, profile as someone who who didn't need help. I like I had to really put the pride aside um, yeah. because it was what I needed, and that's fine. And mm -hmm. and I think a big realization it for us when it comes to this failure thing is um, it, it's like a snapshot and it's something that's, it, it happens to everyone and it's not anything that it says about you. Like you aren't failure. Failure yeah. happens to you. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that was a big thing for me and realizing that there is something that can be done about it and that sticking to it as we've been talking about it, it really does help and finding those people yeah. who, who can help your weaknesses not become weaknesses is really important and and putting any kind of ego and pride aside is is really important so that was kind of like my first bout with it where i yeah. i had to i had to kind of go through that um and then then it's, it's come up again and again as a as a professional i ended up going to the university of toronto um for my master's degree in trumpet performance and then very soon after um, started freelancing and I, re <laughs> I remember doing a gig and um, it was with the Toronto Concert Orchestra and Maestro Carrie Stratton was the conductor and uh, we did a whole program of Viennese waltzes at the Aurelia <laughs> Opera House and with that orchestra it's like it's a it's, it's a freelance orchestra it's, it's just thrown together every time yeah. um, so mm -hmm. i it was amazing. I'd always, I'd be sitting next to the principal trumpet of the national ballet or the national, uh, the Canadian opera company and mm -hmm. lots of other great musicians. And I was just, I didn't know what was going on any, <laughs> most of the time, <laughs> but they kept asking me to come back. So we did this gig and, um, it was with, I was with Miranda. Um, I can't remember her last name. She's now associate, um, principal trumpet of the Calgary symphony. Um, but I remember Carrie put me on first for some reason. Mm -hmm. she's a much better trumpet player than I am. Um, but anyway, he put me on first and we opened the book. It was one of those things where you show up in the afternoon and you do the concert like a couple hours after. Right. Yeah. So that, that it tells you how important sight reading is. Um, so I opened the book and it was all like trumpet in A, trumpet in E, trumpet in F. Trum yeah. It's like every, yeah. every transposition you could think of. And we got to this mm -hmm. famous light cavalry thing. That thing. 
and um, the trumpets have it. So in <laughs> rehearsal, I was like, totally, totally missed it. Transposition was not yeah. my strong suit, yeah. Um, yeah. which I've since fixed, but um, <laughs> it wasn't. So we did it again. And he didn't say anything. And we did it again. Yeah. And I totally <laughs> crapped all over yeah. it again. And he, he, I remember he, he looked at me and said, trumpet. He, was a ra- he also was on the radio. Um, he would go, trumpet. The audience knows this. You must, you <laughs> must play it correctly. And yeah, I remember. a lot of pressure. Like, yeah. And as like a professional at that point, it was like, mm-hmm. oh, this is embarrassing. But to also yeah. realize that like I have the power to fix this little moment of failure. It's not a big one. But like yeah. just yeah. To, to put in the extra time. So I like skip my lunch and do that. And that's a lesson mm-hmm. that I had learned from for the rest of my life that, you know, there's certain degrees of preparedness I can put in that yeah. can help avoid this again. Um, but the big thing f- for me was just realizing that, um, like I mentioned before, that the failure isn't you, the individual. Because I really yeah. felt for a long time it was me. Like, that's who I was. I was a failure. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's really important to recognize that those are, that if anything, for me, I recognize those moments as triggering moments that, that are moments of opportunity that um, I didn't die <laughs> and that I can, I can improve myself as a person and mm-hmm. I can improve yeah. the people around me because of it. So, I, so I've, I've tried to, to use this F word thing as, as, a, as an example because I like to think that I've gone on to do some things after the fact. <laughs> and yeah. um, I, know, I, know there's a, I know there's other students out there that ha- have moments like this that aren't like yeah. at the moment they feel earth chattering. Yeah. But they're not. <laughs> they're yeah. really not. Um, yeah. So, yeah. It really does feel earth shattering at the time, though, especially when you're, you know, a student and you're under so much pressure from so many directions to be, you know, mm-hmm. giving 100% to absolutely every single thing that you're doing. And, and when you can't or when something doesn't go in your favor or the way that you expected or you make a mistake or something like that, it really does feel kind of like the end of the world sometimes. And, um, I think what is just so great about, you know, for example, the professor that kind of gave you that forgiveness when you, when you took the initiative to say, you know, I know this is not what I should have done and I've, I've learned from Mm -hmm. it and I won't do it again, you know, for, for them to say like, you don't have to worry about this, like to kind of give you, permission to move forward from it. I think that just goes to show how much power um, educators and mentors have, you know, when it comes to being a really solid support for students, um, students that are doing really well, students that need help um, and everyone in between, you know. So I I think it's it's great Mm -hmm. that you're sharing stories like that with students today um, and with us today, you know, because I think that's just so important for us to be thinking about. Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll talk more about it later. But like that, like that, like Gary Tucker is someone. When I first met him, I never thought he was going to be a great inspiration to me. My theory mm-hmm. t- professor, my whole degree, <laughs> I always thought yeah. it was the brass people or the performance people. Yeah, but like yeah. out of anyone in my my academic life, um, he has had the greatest impact on me, um, awesome. which I've been lucky enough to tell him to his face now. Um, yeah, I was going to ask actually. I wonder if he knows. Yeah. <laughs> And because, you know, then I ended up becoming a teacher and I can, I have the power 
perceived power um, <laughs> to do that for other students. And because yeah. there's more of them out there than, than we think sometimes, because it's something for that sure. it's, it, there's a lot of shame involved. Um, yeah. And you, you try to hide that kind of thing as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so that's, that's been a cool thing. Um, yeah, it sounds yeah. like those experiences have really shaped the way that you approach um, being a teacher, being an educator, um, an ensemble director, you know, and I think the world could definitely mm-hmm. use more um, of that kind of approach rather than the judgmental, like really quick to go into that kind of shamey mm-hmm. um, stuff. So, so that's, that's wonderful. Yeah. And, and you, you mentioned your time freelancing, um, you know, in that, that freelancing orchestra and stuff like that. Did you want to talk yeah. a little bit about just that chapter of your life as a freelancer? And I know you have a really um, kind of entrepreneurial approach to making a career within music, doing lots of different things, like a wide variety of musical activities. So maybe you could just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it kind of goes back to, well, it goes back to when I started that choir. Like I started a choir myself because yeah. I needed something to <laughs> conduct. Um, mm-hmm. So there was moments like that. But I, I guess one thing that surprisingly we talk about her every episode, but I haven't talked about her yet, is Jillian McKay, um, mm-hmm. and who is probably... She was the, bound to come up at some to, point in this conversation. To why, <laughs> yeah, to why I started freelancing. But she was in, in that honor band system I talked about in PEI. Um, I did get into the senior honor band, by the way. So And it happened that Jillian McKay was my conductor. Um, and I remember talking to her because she knew my teacher, Alan Klaus. So uh, and mm-hmm. I, I, it was a... a as usual, a phenomenal experience getting to rehearse with her and all that. But I was just yeah. a grade 12 student. And as most grade 12 students think, I'm never going to see this person again. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. So uh, little did I know. Um, so uh, when I was an undergrad and began really getting into conducting, um, there was a program called the Dennis Wick Canadian Wind Ensemble, which still exists and I work for it now. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they had just started a conducting fellowship program, which is now our young conducting program. Um, and I had auditioned for it. I think like something, I did like a band version of Dvorak Slavonic dances. Mm-hmm. Um, and lo and behold, I got in and I didn't even know who conducted that group. So I got in and it turns out it's, it was Dr. McKay, <laughs> who was one mm-hmm. of the conductors <laughs> and also Dr. Mark Hopkins, two of my probably most important mentors and dearest friends now. Yeah. Um, but they were both, uh, both my, my teachers for that week. And I, we got to observe them and, and, uh, just soak in everything they did. And then we also got to rehearse and get kind of master class as well. And at that time we did run out concerts as well before our main concert. So the, the fellows would end up conducting in that run out concert. And I just remember, that I know I've talked about so many moments, but that moment was when it's like I want to do what they are doing. Yeah, absolutely. I like I knew at that point I maybe a professional trumpet career wasn't going to be my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was super inspired that week. So inspired that I decided to t- talk to Dr. McKay, and I said, "Oh, do you mind if, if can we step outside so I could ask you something?" She said, "Yeah, sure, absolutely." So we're outside the University of Ottawa, sitting in a bench right near the front door. And I asked her, um, I told her, I'm just like, I would love so much to come to the University of Toronto next year or the year after, I think it was, to pursue my master's in conducting with you. Mm -hmm. And um, she went, absolutely not. She said, no, (laughs) just a hard no. And I was like shocked because I thought I was was a trumpet player. I thought (laughs) I was pretty good. (laughs) 
yeah. yeah. And I wasn't used to that as a, as a musician. So uh, she yeah. said, no, like, you're not, you're not ready yet. And as usual, the, the, you know, you, you should go teach, either do that mm-hmm. um, for however many years and then come back and you can study with me. Um, or in your case, because she knew I, you know, I competed at the national level and had won awards mm-hmm. and had been soloist with things and done that kind of stuff. Um, she said, I think you really just need to become the best musician you can be. And then mm-hmm. you can come. And it wasn't like that's that's a lifelong journey. It's I mean, it's not yeah. there's not a moment where you're going to be like, oh, okay, well now it's like time. You're done. But you know, I yeah, ended yeah. up um, <laughs> she she ended up saying, why don't you come to the University of Toronto and do your masters in trumpet with me, mm-hmm. or not mm-hmm. with not with her, but um, do do your masters and study with someone, and then yeah. um, take take all the graduate conducting courses with with her. Yeah. So I did. Um, yeah. So at the University of Toronto, I ended up studying with Jim Sprague, who's second trumpet in the Toronto Symphony, and just happened to be one of Toronto's biggest contractors. So he was hiring for all these gigs. And that was just a total, like I had no idea and I chose him from the list of teachers. <laughs> yeah. I just saw that he played the Toronto Symphony. So that, it just that, worked out. <laughs> that in itself was a big kind of reason to why I freelanced. But it was all because of Julian. Yeah. I ended up becoming a professional trumpet player. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, and we kind of had an agreement that I wasn't going to conduct that first year at all. I was just going to dedicate yeah. myself to being better at at the trumpet and being a better musician and to understand mm-hmm. that all of that training is not for nothing and that right. it can be used greatly as a conductor and if not the greatest asset that we need as conductors. Um, yeah. And it took me years and years after that to understand and appreciate and to thank her for making me do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. For various reasons. But um, so I did that and um, in my master started freelancing um, that's one of the great things about living in a city like Toronto is that there's many opportunities, not all of them great, but there's many opportunities <laughs> to yeah. play in community orchestras for $50 a service to um, <laughs> do other things and, and, and to realize that, um, that you can do this. So I ended up having, starting my career while I was in school um, and it was by reasons that you aren't, you don't really think would come of it. Like I remember I played the trumpet in my Alexander technique class and it just happened that the assistant conductor for the Toronto concert orchestra was in my Alexander uh, <laughs> technique class and told yeah. Maestro Carrie Stratton about, about me. So then I yeah. got invited to do an audition to get on the list and mm-hmm. it's just things like that. Like you'd never know who's listening. So, yeah. um, I ended up freelancing and, and doing those kind of things. Uh, the Toronto Concert Orchestra was a big thing for me. Um, and then at a certain point when I graduated, uh, Jim had entrusted me with some of his bigger gigs, which yeah. ended up being stuff with like Sarah McLaughlin. We've done at Budweiser stage, um, a lot of casino gigs in Aurelia with, you know, <laughs> I remember I've done one with like the lead singer of Supertramp and like a Led Zeppelin cover <laughs> so band, um, <laughs> stuff like that. And, uh, and then a big one was we did video games live at Massey Hall, um, mm-hmm. which as a classical trumpet player, um, very rarely do you get screamed at by a sold out audience of a packed Massey Hall. Yeah. But we would play <laughs> stuff and people would go wild. It was like crazy. Yeah. So stuff That's like amazing. that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I st- and, um, started uh, uh, conducting more. I worked with the Hannaford Youth brass ensemble and these are all opportunities that i kind of i i had to go seek out myself um so i ended up starting to do that um reaching out to high school music teachers and telling them hey like if you need someone to come work with your ensemble like i'd be happy to go do that and 
you know, most of them would say no, <laughs> but a couple <laughs> would say yes. And that's all you yeah. need to start. And I For did sure. the same thing with community bands. I, I must have emailed 20 community bands in the GTA. <laughs> and most would not even respond. But yeah. one did. And that was the Northdale Concert Band, which was Howard Cable's old concert band. Um, mm-hmm. And Mark Hopkins' old concert band, actually. So I ended up, they had a, um, Joe Resendez was on filling in for a sabbatical somewhere. So they needed a conductor for a concert cycle and I did it. And that yeah. that led to other things and other community yeah. bands. And then I had my own community band. Um, so to realize that as a musician who's in school, I think a lot of the, the thought is often opportunity will come to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I very quickly understood from my time in, on PEI that even in a small place, that's not true. You have yeah. to create it. So I ended up, that's the reason I ended up um, emailing all these people and just not being okay with just putting yourself out there mm-hmm. and trusting that you've put in the work as a musician and that yeah. you have something to offer the world. And even if the world doesn't think that, you need to be okay to to share that. And someone's going to say no and that has nothing to say about you that might have yeah. something to say with the timing and might have mm-hmm. to say something about with who's there already, but it's rarely right. about about you reaching out. Um, yeah. So yeah, so I ended up freelancing and, and have, trying to have that mindset when I was doing it. Um, and then there was other, I just needed more kind of conducting things I wanted to be doing. Um, so I noticed on, on gigs, a lot of the brass players, especially we, we do these things and we play like whatever Beethoven seven. Um, and unless you're like, I don't know, a woodwind player or even a horn player in Beethoven, um, you don't have much to do. <laughs> so we, it's a lot uh, of sitting know, we and waiting. Kind of be picking our nose. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of people who like weren't really playing that much. And at the time when I was there, Toronto didn't really have an active professional wind ensemble. Um, so I ended up starting one. Um, and to start, it was just chamber sized. Um, so we were called the Toronto Winds. Um, and it was kind of like a double wind dectet of some of my colleagues that I freelanced with. And those were only connections I could have made if I listened to Jillian and I became the best musician I could be, because I guarantee you, if I was just, if I ended up doing some other path, those, I would have known those people. They wouldn't have trusted me. Um, but I ended up putting this group together of some of my, my close friends and colleagues and they all agreed to do the first concert for free. And I I was listening to video the other day actually. And we, we did, it was called, uh, it was called inspire. (laughs) Um, but it was like pieces that were inspired by other pieces. So Mm, we did this figures in the garden, which was inspired by marriage of Figaro. So we did a little marriage of Figaro overture and figures in the garden. Um, we did a arrangement of, uh, wind octet Beethoven, uh, symphony number one, just the first movement, which inspired Adam Gorb's symphony number one, um, which was for, I think 13 wins in double bass. So we did that and I had no business doing that music. I don't know how I got through it, but anyway, we did it and, um, and, and, and people were into it. And, uh, I should say that the audience was, there was more people on stage than there were in the audience at a race space. Yeah. And my way, my wife, not wife at the time had to come into the like dressing room area and be like, okay, Dylan, it's time to, time to start the concert. And it was like 10 minutes after I'm like, no, no, more people are coming for sure. For oh. sure. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, no, you, you need to start the concert. You gotta go. Yeah. So, yeah. I remember being a little embarrassed, but, um, but we had, a, whatever, it was like zero pressure. Some of my yeah. closest friends in Toronto came and supported yeah. us, which was great. And then that ended up turning into an ensemble that I could raise money for, uh, through sponsorship, through GoFundMes and, um, people get paid. 
So yeah. um, and like pretty like not like probably union scale, but they got they got like <laughs> a a good paycheck, and we did yeah. you know four or five other concerts, um, and ended up. I think commissioning and premiering like six new works by Canadian That's composers, amazing. yeah, like Sophie Dupuy, Matthew Emery, um, my uh, Colin McMahon, um, Kevin Hay has arranged some stuff for us, and 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 things like that. And we've we've been the featured ensemble at band festivals that you know, and Aaron Hodgson, who teaches at Western, has been one of our soloists, and we've done that in a collaboration. Full circle collaboration with the Exultante Chamber Singers and Dr. Hilary Affelstadt and Dr. Mark Ramsey, who's now go. he's now the artistic <laughs> director. So we did a concert with them. But this it was a wonderful training ground for me to yeah. know how business works. Because I had to mm-hmm. get like a business account and do all that stuff and branding and marketing. And um, and at a certain point, people started coming to our concerts. Um, yeah because <laughs> it was good and and it gave me so much opportunity as a young conductor to have um have a place to grow uh yeah. and like i said i really had no business uh <laughs> doing some of that music and those those musicians that till this day there are many of them are you know they're they're amazing people and, and i didn't yeah. realize it at the point how lucky i was to have a group like that yeah. Um, they're really like a Ferrari, <laughs> like it was like right away. Um, yeah. so that it was always, it was always a great thing. Um, yeah. and I had a little Milton concert band, which was great. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were just lovely people. So I did that for a year, but those kind of opportunities, I'll once again, reiterate are opportunities that I tried to create. Um, yeah. and, and I think that's the biggest thing, yeah. um, that stands out to me in, in all of this is just, um, that you took the initiative to seek out opportunities that, you know, to do things that you wanted to do, to do things that you were curious about, to make connections with people mm-hmm. that inspired you, um, to form groups of your own because you couldn't find one that would respond to you. Like, okay, I'm going to go out and make my own. Like, I think that's just, that mindset is the way that so many of us in, in the creative kind of creative fields, um, need in order to mm-hmm. survive really and in order to um thrive and get the chance to do the things that we want to do so yeah i think all of that must have just set you up so well for kind of everything that has happened since then mm-hmm. just being willing to like you said put yourself out there and be open minded when it comes to um to trying new things saying yes to things um mm-hmm. you know whether it pays you 50 bucks or it's you know a high profile thing like just being willing to kind of absorb all the opportunities that you could um, yeah. that's that's the way to do it for sure and now a word from our sponsor oh my gosh Kate, do you know what time of the year it is? No, but I feel like you're going to tell me. (laughs) Yeah, I am. It's time for a new issue of the Canadian Winds Journal, the biannual journal of the Canadian Band Association. I love the Canadian Winds Journal. It's full of great articles, everything from practical guides for teaching beginners to articles on health and technology. As well as study guides to some of our favorite band works, book and CD reviews, and profiles on some of Canada's finest band organizations, conductors, composers, educators, and performers. Even if you're not Canadian, you can check out the Canadian Winds Journal. Learn about all the amazing things happening in the Canadian band community and about our people. 
To see the latest issue, visit canadianband.org download. That's canadianband.org download to learn more about how you can get your hands on the latest issue of the Canadian Winds Journal. And I think, like, certainly you're an example of that as well, right? Um, and, a, and I say that because for both of us, at a certain point, people do start knocking on your door. Yeah. And because yeah. of the stuff that we've created ourselves. Um, yeah. So not, not and, to, and I, I, I should say, we've, we've talked about the $50 gig, which I think you should take if you're just starting. Mm-hmm. But at a certain yeah. point, you, you do understand your worth as a professional, yeah. And mm-hmm. you start moving out of those kind of things, and maybe there's something that you want to do and help out that you can. But, um, but yeah, so it yeah. does it does flip at a certain point, but also it also doesn't go away. There's always there's yeah. always a bit of a hustle. So yeah, um, well, actually, this is a perfect segue into what I wanted to ask about next, which is your time at Cambrian College and Laurentian University up in mm. Sudbury, Ontario, um, because from what I know about what you did there. Um, you kind of applied this mindset there as well. Like, yes, you're in a, a, a stable position. Um, you know, this is this is what you're doing. You're not freelancing, but you're still setting up the kinds of opportunities that you want for yourself, for your students, for community members, still kind of with that mindset of like, what could we make if we just tried something? And mm-hmm. uh, so I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the experiences that you had um, at those schools. Well, yeah, it's just like, uh, it, it's one, <laughs> I know we, we always talk about it on the podcast, but, uh, one's path is not straight <laughs> ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mine certainly is, 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 has more zigs and zags than most. But, yeah. um, I, at the time, you know, I had been doing lots of trumpet stuff. I had, I had done some stuff, um, for Netflix and global TV as a music, um, consultant as well, mm-hmm. and had been building a reputation as a guest conductor and adjudicator across, uh, Canada, um, and was just freelancing and doing that kind of stuff, which I loved. Um, and my wife, I should also say, is a professional harpist, and she was also a freelancer, so we'd be on gigs together a lot too, which was yeah. nice. But um, it's a it gets tiring mm-hmm. after a while trying to you know get living check off check um, and doing yeah. those things. It's it's certainly doable, and there's people I know that have greatly inspired me and that they love it. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, some most of them are not doing that. But like someone like uh, Ted Clark, who I think this year has been teaching trumpet at Ohio State, he's someone who was the first person to tell me about freelancing. I'm like, there's a job that I can do all these different things, um, <laughs> and he's great at it, and he's really good at putting those puzzle pieces together to yeah. like you know whatever if it's schedule and money and all that. And um, anyway, I was getting really tired, and uh, I was always looking for like teaching jobs. But as someone yeah. who doesn't have an ed degree, it was very mm-hmm. difficult because <laughs> yeah. like, I can't like I can't teach at a high school. I could teach maybe at a private school, um, yeah. but there wasn't any opportunity for me. And then one day I was looking for jobs, and um, this job posting as head of winds and brass professor of music at Cambrian College came up, which is a, a, our, our American listeners will know it as what's known as a junior college. So something mm-hmm. that you, you get kind of a diploma from when you graduate, usually a two or three year program. Um, and I had not really known anything about it. Um, but the teacher there had left. Um, so I ended up applying and I totally forgot I applied. <laughs> uh, it Oh yeah, by the way, it wasn't, this is a fun full circle moment. It wasn't just head of winds and brass. I was also to teach the upper level music theory courses. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> it was it was great. It probably you know one of the biggest learning experiences I've ever had, and um, and something I will never ever forget. But I had to teach mm-hmm. these these theory. I had theory courses, two theory courses, and I had. Um, they had a wind ensemble program years ago by my wonderful predecessor, Brenda Aerosmith, who is just the salt of the earth. She was an amazing, amazing human. And she had built that wind ensemble up to, it was huge. But then, uh, and faculty ended up changing and changing. And eventually they changed it into chamber music programs. And it didn't exist for like five years before I got there. So in the interview, that was one of the things I talked about. Would you want this back? And they're like, yes, absolutely. So we ended up restarting yeah. the wind ensemble program. So I did that. And taught wind methods and all of the lessons. So like you name it, like flute lessons, <laughs> trumpet <laughs> lessons, saxophone lessons, clarinet lessons, especially. Um, I was teaching all of those, and um, and there was something else as well that I was I was teaching. But anyway, so there was all those things that I had never taught before. I certainly yeah. um, was I was I did band and knew how to rehearse a band and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But so I dove in, I, I was emailing Dr. Tucker. I visited Dr. Tucker. He gave me all his old books cause he was retiring. So nice. I got his theory books and, and I remember being in his office at Mount Allison his last year and saying, did you ever think like out of anyone who would teach theory <laughs> would be me? <laughs> and he went, actually, no, I never thought. Yeah. Yeah. So I did it and I would stay up. I would stay up until like 2 a.m. every night preparing for the next day. That Because that first year, yeah. I was hired the week before classes started. Like it was it was it's not nuts. a lot of lead time. <laughs> um, not a lot of lead time. And I was uh, – there was no curriculum given. There's mm-hmm. like this is the book. These are the chapters we went through. So I had made all these slideshows and all, and all that kind of stuff and assignments and stuff um, and did it. And it was fine. And, and what I want to circle back is um, because I was that student – who had to kind of work a little bit harder in those classes, I was able to help so many of my theory students and yeah. to be that person for them that wouldn't shame them and that would give extra time. Because time mm-hmm. is time is such a silly thing, but it's such a powerful thing that we all for need sure. to accept um, Well, th- that we need. And I'll, and I'll, I'll talk about that later, but... Um, yeah, teaching theory for me was one of the hardest things I've ever done, um, but now I can do it, and now I um, can also. I've re- I've realized how much they've helped those students helped me. It, they had so much patience with me as a first year teacher. Oh my god! Yeah. And, yeah. and 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 to think how many I've been able to help as well has been really nice. Um, yeah. And and many of which I still keep in contact with. So. Mm-hmm. So that was really great. And then the wind ensemble, um, it, just like any kind of smaller program, wind ensemble was made up of uh, everyone. <laughs> like we had, I forget yeah. how many wind majors, but community members, retired faculty, um, high, it ended up opening up to high school students. So it was kind of like a city kind of like honor ensemble kind of thing, uh, mm-hmm. which was cool. Um, and to see all of those people helping each other uh, and everyone's common goal to grow this thing was amazing and yeah. we did lots of things and uh one concert in particular we did pete meekin's letters for home and uh i remember someone in the community who i will not name ended up coming up to me uh at intermission because we shared it with all the ensembles and we didn't play in the second half so he they came up to me at intermission and said like wow dylan you've you've really woven a beautiful piece of fabric out of lint <laughs> and I had to like, I 
had to think because it is a compliment. But yeah, it's also like, yeah. what does that mean? And I thought about it for months and months and months. Yeah. And and yeah. I finally came to the realization I was able to do what this person perceived because they were never lint. The people in front of us yeah. are never lint. They are always that beautiful no. piece of fabric. So and yeah. I, and that's I, a little that bit of a dig at like me. at the people yeah. in the community, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And I mean, I they meant the, the, their best intentions when they said that. But, for sure. Um, yeah. But for me, that that was a really important aspect of of my why as an educator and to realize how we should look at the musicians in front of us. I mean, Leonard Bernstein himself has said similar things to like, you make music with who's ever in front of you and, Mm -hmm. and to move past any kind of judgment or things (laughs) that we, we like, these people aren't good. So they don't deserve to work with me. Like that's foolishness. So, so, so that, that was a really important moment for me, but it was a, a really wonderful time at Cambrian and um, I really discovered myself as an educator uh, and yeah. then I also started teaching conducting at Laurentian University um, just their basic kind of uh, conducting class to their their music ed majors mm-hmm. um, and they were wonderful students and um, another kind of moment for me was um, I you know I I think as most people try to or maybe not most people um, try to be as positive a force as you can be in, in classes yeah. and in, in the world. Um, and I, you know, don't really think anything of it too much. It's just try, just try to be a good person. But, um, one time a, a student uh, emailed me and said, Oh, will, when will you be in your office? Um, before class. And I said, Oh, I'll be in at this time. Like, okay, can I come see you? And there was just a, there was a test coming up. So I thought they were going to come to me and tell me this big mm-hmm. sob story about how can they get an <laughs> extension? And, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And I was like, I really don't want to do this. But anyway, they ended up coming to my class, at my office and said, um, oh, I just, I, I want to give you something. And um, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so they end up giving me this um, a- acrylic painting of a baton. And it just says flick on the bottom because that's you know, <laughs> something that we were always talking about. Um, and I said, oh, this is very nice. Thank you so much. And uh, and I didn't really, <laughs> I mean, it was okay. Um, yeah. And they're like, oh no, turn it over. On the back, there's a, I, I, I wrote a note and I was like, oh, okay. So I wrote this note and I read it and I started crying in front of the student. <laughs> yeah. Um, because um, I, 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 we just never know as educators what our students go through. Yeah. And this note said that I struggle with depression and anxiety every single day. And I want to thank you for creating a space where I can be myself and I can like do conducting, like conducting is a weird thing to do. Um, so to create yeah. a space where someone can feel safe to do that. Um, and they also said, when I, when I become a music educator, I want to be like you. <laughs> and, and <laughs> they just, they just said, thank you for being that difference in my life. And for me, that was probably the other moment where I, I really discovered myself as an educator. And that comes from Jillian. Yeah. Um, because I, I remember after one of the concerts at, at U of T, I was with her at the Duke and it was after I graduated and people kept coming up to her and coming up to her and thanking her for the year and blah, blah, blah. And I, it was just her and I at one of those tall tables at the Duke. And I, <laughs> I said, do you ever get tired of it? Like, isn't, and she's like, no, because I realized that person who just came up and talked to me, the only moment of joy they have in their week is in my rehearsals. So if I can yeah. give that to them, I will. 
And then that's yeah. kind of where that whole, we never know, like you only know mm-hmm. 10% of this student. Um, so to think about yeah. how we teach is I think really important. And yeah, there's always learning outcomes and, and in quality, like I, I, I think we can all accept that, but also realizing that there's numerous ways to, to get to that point. One is yeah. to probably scare someone and use the fear factor thing into maybe improving them. Maybe yeah. it works for some. And the other one is that you can build up that person and yeah. that you can um, not only improve the musician, but you can improve the human that's in front of you, which I think yeah. is more lifelong than the music thing sometimes. So yeah. for me at my time at Cambrian and Laurentian, um, those are the kind of the two big things that, that, for me as an educator, I had discovered and that will stay with me for the rest of my life, no matter what school, how little, how small, how big mm-hmm. it will be, that those are two things that will stay with me. Um, but it was it was a great time. And we ended up starting a conducting workshop for um, Ontario uh, music educators and one from New Brunswick came, which is very exciting. And Jillian was our first guest. Uh, so that was cool. And, uh, but it, it, you know, it was a lot of that freelance mindset stuff. I started yeah. it, I got sponsorships from Long and McQuaid and did all that. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was a wonderful opportunity for me. And I'm so grateful that they took a chance on someone who was 27 at the time <laughs> um, to, to do this. And it, you know, it was, it was a great three years of, of my, my life that, that we spent in Sudbury and, you know, mm-hmm. my closest friends still live there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was, that was beautiful. Cambrian. Yeah. That's so nice. I just, I mean, I think one of the things that stands out here is that you don't have an education degree and yet you are a fantastic educator who puts students first, you know, the needs of your community ahead of maybe, um, kind of the, I don't know, public perception of what it is that you're doing. Like you can tell that it's so Mm -hmm. important to you to create these welcoming um, environments and and, uh, well-rounded opportunities for your students and community members to engage in. And um, I mean, everyone listening knows that, you know, I'm a composer without a composition degree. And here you Mm -hmm. are as an educator without an education degree. And I think everything that you've shared so far just goes to show that it's your life experiences and your outlook and the connections that you make um, that really inform the way that you show up in the world and the impact that you have more so than the piece of paper that says that you can or cannot do something. And um, I mean, we talk about these kinds of topics all the time, but I I think it's just really wonderful to highlight that again, um, you know, in you and, and the experiences that you've had. So um, yeah, I appreciate you sharing all of that. Well, thanks. It's and I think it's important um, for. I don't think everyone. I don't like my path was my path, and your path mm-hmm. was your path, and it worked for both of us. So yeah. I, I don't want anyone to try to model anything off of that. But mm-hmm. I, I think there's some framework things that that we can look at. That if 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 there's so for me, I ended up looking at someone um, who I greatly admired, be it a music teacher or be it Jillian. Uh, who has a very similar path to me um, and and trying to figure out in my life, what can I do to supplement that? So I don't have mm-hmm. an ed degree. Who, what can I do to learn about those things? Well, yeah. I can work for a band trip company and see how a band mm-hmm. trip works. So I did that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All of my 
best friends are music teachers. So I get to hear about their experiences. I get to go observe Mm -hmm. them. You can always go observe anyone. (laughs) You can go watch Dr. McKay rehearse the U of T wind ensemble whenever it's not a plague. Okay. But um, those kind of things, (laughs) whatever it is, um, just like you said, just because you don't have the piece of paper in front of your name or you're in the process of getting that piece of paper and that framework that was already built for you. Um, Mm -hmm. doesn't mean you can't build one for yourself. That is totally similar. So I think it's really important to, to, to recognize those kind of elements that go into who you want to be as a professional and how can I get that? Um, as someone who doesn't have a master's in conducting, you know, you can always go do workshops always. Yeah. And a lot of them, you don't even have to like audition for, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. you can just pay money to learn from some of the world's best. Um, so that's something else that, um, was instilled in me and that's something that Jillian did. Um, who also is someone who does has doesn't have a master's degree in conducting. Yeah. So it's yeah. like th- these are things that we can do to supplement those those kind of things, uh, yeah, which are really sure. important. Yeah. Okay. So we've we've covered a lot of ground with your your journey, and the last kind of most obvious chapter that we haven't covered yet is where you are now. And um, I know that since you've been at Arizona State University pursuing your doctorate, you've discovered even more about your why and who you are as a musician, as a person. And I wonder if you could just share with us a little bit of what that experience has been like for you so far. Yeah, it's been an interesting one. And it's, it was something I've always wanted to do. And, and, you know, whenever I told Jillian, I wanted to do what she's doing. Um, and having that conversation, like, well, if I don't have that degree, can I go do this degree? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, she's like, yeah, like, as long as you have, as I mentioned, as long as you've built the framework that you need, any school will accept you. If you've done the, the gig, <laughs> um, yeah. hopefully someone will want you. Um, so I, I had been thinking about it for a while and um, I had had the opportunity to work as an adjudicator. And on my first ever festival I did was the one that I did as a, a kid, which was the Atlantic at that time band festival. And All these um, full circle things yeah. for you, eh? <laughs> so I was, I was, I, I, I wiggled my way into this gig, which is another story, but maybe I'll save it for another time. Um, yeah. And uh, got to my first day and was sitting at the table. I had no idea what I was doing. And I look to my right and on the microphone is a guy named Dr. Jason Kassler. <laughs> and, uh, and, yeah, and we worked together and we had, you know, we had drinks after every day of uh, after work. So I got to talk to him and hang out with him. And I just really enjoyed um, working with him. Um, as a colleague and he had taught me so much just on that first day about adjudicating and I remember I had a string orchestra and I was like Jason what what do I what do I tell what I don't know what to do he's like uh, closer to the frog and more bow I said okay okay <laughs> so anyway went in and then, then also realizing from that point that music is music no matter what yeah. <laughs> what's in front yeah. of you so yeah. uh, but anyway I had I had met him and he had just got um the ASU associate director's a band job. He was at Memorial University in Newfoundland before that. Um, and I, I remember we, we were all so excited for him. And um, I remember we were walking in Halifax one one night and uh, it was known that Gary Hill was going to retire. Mm-hmm. And I, I had asked him like, would you ever, uh, would you ever apply for that, that director of bands job? He's like, nah, it usually doesn't work like that. Like, you know, they'll probably get someone else, but. And he, I remember being very like set in stone, like he wasn't going to do it. So anyway, I guess whenever that year, that OMEA year was and your Intrinsic Light was premiered, 
2019. Yeah, 2019. Mm -hmm. So um, he ended up becoming director of bands at Arizona State. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So anyway. Look uh, at that. (laughs) I had shot, I just shot him a message on Facebook. I was still teaching at Cambrian and, um, and I congratulated him and things. And and he just, he said, oh, have, have you thought about doing your doctorate yet? And I'm like, uh, well, I've thought about it. He's like, well, you should really consider, I would, I would enjoy if you considered applying at ASU. So that happened. Things kind of were going downhill a little bit in Sudbury arts wise with like the university mm-hmm. program. Yeah. As anyone in the province knows, it's got the music program got gutted as well as many other yeah. programs at the university because of mismanagement and things. And uh, things were just slowing down a little bit. And not to mention, um, what do you call it? Uh, COVID-19 um, <laughs> ended up coming. So um, it was a kind of a, a well-timed storm of things. And I told him I was, I was going to apply that year. So I applied and there was probably six of us and it was all virtual. Um, and I ended up getting accepted and, and coming. And ASU was the only school I applied for because I knew I wanted to study with Jason because I had worked yeah. with him. I had relatively known him as kind of a person. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> little did I know. Um, I didn't really know him all that well, uh, which it was only positive, of course. But um, yeah. and, uh, moving here uh, this past year and just finished my first year of my doctorate. Um, and it's been amazing. And to work with Jason um, as a student has it not been awkward like I thought it was going to be because I think <laughs> there's very few people who have the relationship that we have as, as colleagues and f- friends and then st- <laughs> switching that in a second yeah, to the student yeah. teacher thing. Um, but it's, it's been really great. And to see um, Jason and his element here with these students that he works with every year, uh, I didn't realize the positive force that he is. He is unrelenting. Like you could ha- be having the worst day on in the world and you come into his rehearsal and he will not let you, he will like, <laughs> he will, he keeps that smile on. Even if you're a zombie staring at him, he just maintains his positivity. Um, yeah. And that's been a, a probably the biggest thing that I have, I have taken away this year from him. Um, so it's been really great. And I get to work with Dr. Jamal Duncan as well, who's been a really great inspiration to me um, and someone whose work ethic I admire no higher than anyone else. It's just amazing. Mm-hmm. And um, it's been great to work with him as well as with the marching band here with uh, James G. Hudson um, and learn mm-hmm. about an, a, an area of the world that musically that I have not known about. Um, so those <laughs> things have been great. However, uh being someone who's been called professor for three years and has had a career yeah. um, and then coming back to being a student, you know, and it was like four, it was like five or six years of a career. And then, and then being a student again has been, I find it very difficult yeah. um, to the point where it's like, it seems like a lot of things I thought I knew about myself ended up going in rewind mm-hmm. where I would see people rehearse and practice and study and I'd be like, oh, well, that's how I have to do it. That's I have to rehearse like them. Yeah. But it it doesn't work. Like it just doesn't work. If you go to a workshop and you work with Mallory Thompson or Craig Kierkoff or whoever it is, and then you try to come back and be them, it doesn't work. <laughs> so I, I spent like a good half of the semester just trying to be someone I wasn't. Yeah. And I uh, wasn't getting the results musically that I would usually get. And I wasn't happy. And 
um, I know people were generally happy, I think, but I, I just, I was not in a good place. Yeah. And then um, I've mentioned this on the podcast, but uh, we were lucky in November to have Dale Lanis come and visit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, we kind of knew it was kind of his last thing. Yeah. Um, and I didn't, I had met him, I had worked with him previously and uh, known many of his past former students. So I, I kind of knew what to expect, but I didn't, it <laughs> turns out. Um, yeah. So he came and worked with the Chamberwinds and he's, and we watched him rehearse and we had like daily meetings with him for a whole week. And um, he really saw through all of it with me mm-hmm. and was just like, Dylan, why don't you just try being yourself <laughs> and not, not someone else? And cause I saw him do it. Like there's no one like him. <laughs> So and to see him unapologetically, like he did this weird, like pulling like rope gesture in one of his rehearsals. <laughs> I'm like, that looks ridiculous, but it worked yeah. for him. Yeah, right? yeah. So, um, so with, with that, and it was only a week, but it was like, for me in the place I was at that time, it, it was very important for me. And it was, there was kind of a switch was flicked that day, that week where yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm going to be myself and I'm going to be cheesy and I'm going to use metaphors <laughs> and I'm going to try to be as hippy dippy, whatever people view it as. I'm going to do that because that's that's how I am Yeah. because that's how I've been taught. That's for me. That's what's worked. And since then, it's been great to understand that. Um, so those kind of things have been kind of uh, moments of re self-discovery and just yeah. trusting <laughs> that um, that it's OK to, to be you. And realizing that being a student again um, has been really weird, and especially because um, you know, I, and I've I've talked to s- s- friends and colleagues, but uh, since undergrad, people have talked to me like, "Oh, maybe um, you should go get tested for things," <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh, oh really? <laughs> like, uh, like what? Like, oh, well, maybe like ADHD." <laughs> I'm like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> um, and I and I remember going. Th- I started the process in uh, in undergrad, and I ended up bailing halfway through, which was probably a sign in itself. Um, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but ended up uh, before coming to ASU doing some tests with my doctor and things. And it turns out I, I do have it, um, mm-hmm. which explains a lot in my past. And having that understanding yeah. now as a person, as a as a as a student and educator at this level, has been a yeah. great help to me. Yeah. Um, while I'm a student again, because it's like, it's weird. But um, the other thing I, I, I do kind of gently want to talk about very quickly is uh, just that trajectory of of time and of growth and how it does change if you let it. So like high school, not great. <laughs> really not great um, yeah. as an academic. Um, mm-hmm. Undergrad a little better because I'm we're starting to streamline a little more, but I still have yeah. those things I, I'm not really totally comfortable doing with. And there's going to be some growth yeah. pains do that. Mm-hmm. And then master's even more comfy and my grades get a little better. And then doctorate, uh, you know, I, it's my, my first year I've maintained a 4.0 the whole year. I get to do what I love. Yeah. Very specific things. Yeah. And, um, if you would have asked little Dilly <laughs> in, in, <laughs> In high school, if if would you ever get straight A's? Yeah. No, not yeah. a chance. <laughs> so just to understand that, like, you need to put the time in, and you need to let the time happen. Yeah. 
So um, for me at, at this level has been a great, um, a moment of, I guess, like just appreciating and understanding that it wasn't for nothing. And those moments of what we view as failure really do lead to something amazing if we let it. Um, yeah. So that that's kind of been my time here at ASU of, of re discovery and, yeah. and, 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 and kind of appreciating who you are. That's fantastic. And I'm, I've been part of some of this journey, you know, with you, um, as you've kind of readjusted mm-hmm. to being a student and all of that. And I've heard a lot of the behind the scenes of those difficulties and everything, but I, I really just, I mean, I'll say it publicly. I'm so proud of you. I, th- I think it's amazing that you've mm-hmm. found a way to, really um, curate your life um, to include the things that matter the most to you and to dedicate your time and energy to learning even more about the things that are important to you. And um, as you kind of settle into being yourself, you're able to set that example for your students, for your colleagues, for your community. And, um, you know, it's, it's amazing how when you kind of line up all of your education next to each other like that, like, yeah, I think for so many of us, like, would would we have imagined being where we are now if you had asked, you know, our younger selves, yeah. like, like, no way, right? But I think it just goes to show that when you're doing what you love, when you're able to be yourself, you succeed. And that, mm-hmm. I mean, if if nothing else in this conversation, I think that's the big takeaway is, you know, whatever it is that anyone's doing out there, like, if you're doing it as your full true self and if you're, you know, giving yourself the time to develop into the person that you want to be and surrounding yourself with the people that support you and that inspire you, like really, really awesome things can come from that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um, we've reached (laughs) this moment in the episode where uh, it's the final question. And before we get to it, um, I will just remind our listeners that the two of us in this case are going to go off into bonus episode land and uh, record a fun bonus episode for our Patreon listeners. Uh, So if you would like to be among that crowd of people who get to hear this fun bonus episode and our back catalog of other amazing bonus episodes from our past guests, you can access that by going to patreon.com slash bandroompod and you can check all of that out. Uh, So our final question or my final question is just a little bit of a variation of what our final question usually is to our BRP guests. Um, And you've you've given us so much to think about in terms of advice and kind of ways to approach life throughout this whole conversation already. But I'm just wondering, what is some of the best advice that you've been given? And I know you've shared some of it already, but Perhaps you can think of a couple more or elaborate on anything that really stands out to you as just some of the, the advice that's really, really landed with you. Just one? No, I'm kidding. I'm just... I'm just <laughs> I never said just one. <laughs> they, need, they need more. <laughs> I always do. Um, yeah, no, I, I was thinking about it and I already gave all my McKay... Well, not all of my McKay advice, but uh, I just got some more this week, actually. So um, <laughs> I want two kind of common ones that have lined up and it's been great to do this podcast and get advice every week um, are from Wendy McCullum and from my teacher, Jason Kastler. Um, And I remember being in uh, Jason's hotel room at the OMEA conference in 2019 and Mm -hmm. um, 
I was so nervous about a talk I had to give on focus of all things. Yeah. Anyway, so I was, it was my first talk that I was going to give and I was so nervous. And he's like, oh, how's it going, man? I'm like, it's going to be great once this is over. And he went, no, it's not. <laughs> There's always going to be something else. And, and we had, we were talking and talking. And, um, one of the things he's talked to me numerous times about is like, f- for once, think about the moment we're in and not about where you want to go. Cause I yeah. think a lot of people view their job that they're in sometimes as like a stepping stone, which I think it's important to plan, but like, um, it's also important to put like your actual self for the right reason into that job and to go to Wendy's advice, which is to bloom where you're, where you're planted. Yeah. Um, it has been something that stayed with me. So it doesn't matter if it's Summerside PEI. It doesn't matter if you're in Sackville. It doesn't matter if you're in Toronto or if you're in Sudbury, Ontario, or if now you're in Tempe. Like mm-hmm. there are always moments where you can genuinely put yourself in there for other people and not necessarily for your own gain. And I I think that's an important way to think sometimes. Um, So yeah, those, that's kind of a big thing for me. And then also what what I've been thinking about recently and as part of my research um, is like, what, what is our definition of success in our field as band people or as Mm -hmm. music people? Um, and I don't really have an answer right now, but just to think for me, I know that it's, it's about people, yeah. um, and it's about building those people up and it's about offering what I can for them to grow. Um, and whatever that band program looks like, whatever band program that does that looks like, then that's, that's probably a definition of success. And to think mm-hmm. about how we can get to that, that degree of success, um, as I mentioned before, numerous ways. And I, I hope that people pick the side of light and not the dark mm-hmm. side um, and realize that we really have an immense um, gift and an immense opportunity and privilege to really, and I say this all the time as a cheesy joke, but to change lives. Like we actually yeah. have a lot of opportunity and more power in word and in gesture than you think. Um, so that's, that's what I will, I will leave <laughs> the band room with. <laughs> Wonderful. That's such good advice. And I think all of that applies to any field, you know, any stream of music, but even non-music related as well. That's just really good kind of life advice in general. So thank you so much, Dylan, for taking the time to share your journey with all of us. I know that, you know, you're here every every episode and and we hear so much, so many t- tidbits of advice and everything from you anyway but it's it's been really wonderful to just hear kind of start from the start to to the present um, all of the experiences that you've had and that you've created for yourself and for others um, I think that that experience that you shared with a student writing you a note on the back of the painting you know that's that's what success looks like and feels Mm. like it's those kinds of moments and you facilitate those kinds of moments wherever you go and I think it's just wonderful to hear a little bit more about that so thank you so much oh thanks Kate and thank you for this opportunity (laughs) you're also wasn't awkward at all right (laughs) thank you okay bye Thanks so much for spending time with us in the band room. If you want to learn more about anything we discussed in today's episode, check out the links found on our website, 
bandroompod.com. If you liked what you heard, make sure to subscribe to the Bandroom Podcast. Give us a rating and a review and tell all your friends about how much you enjoyed it. If you really love the show, maybe you should consider becoming part of our Patreon community where you can support BRP and get some extra incentives in return. Or you can buy some sweet, sweet BRP merch, helping to offset podcast hosting costs and investments into new equipment so that we can continue to bring you great content and great people. Follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube to keep up with what's on the go. If you have any thoughts on today's episode, leave us a comment on our website, bandroompod.com, where your comment might be featured on a future episode of BRP. Our theme music is Skyline, composed by EKR Hamill and performed by Dr. Gillian McKay and the University of Toronto Wind Ensemble. Stay safe and be well, bandies. Thanks again for stopping by the band room.